Hi, and welcome back to Macabre for Mortals. I'm your host, Claudia, and I'd personally like to welcome you back to my podcast. The case I'll be covering today is the disappearance and the consequential murder of Alison Baden-Clay. This is a case which was the headline of every newspaper and every television show when I first arrived in Australia in June 2012. The case was very prominent in Brisbane, where I migrated to, as this is where Alison had lived and where she had gone missing and consequently was murdered in. Like my first true crime case, I will give you a background of Brisbane so that listeners who are not familiar with the area can get a feel for the city that I'm currently living in and where Alison lived. Brisbane is in the state of Queensland in Australia, also known as the Sunshine State. This is because Brisbane experiences an annual mean minimum of 16.6 Celsius, about 62 Fahrenheit height. So coming from England, people stare at me for not wearing a jacket in this temperature because it feels like when it's winter here, it's summer for me. Indigenous Australians have lived in the Brisbane region for about 22,000 years and it was inhabited by the Jaraga people. The Moreton Bay area, where I live, was the first area initially explored on behalf of the European colonisers by Matthew Flinders on 17th of July, 1799. The governor of New South Wales at the time, Thomas Brisbane, instructed that the new penal settlement be developed in the city of Brisbane, and this was established on the 13th of May, 1825. New South Wales, for anyone who doesn't know, that's where Sydney is based where we are in Brisbane, which is Queensland. So those two states actually border on each other and we are actually quite close. Brisbane is the origin of a distinctive architectural style known as the Queensland architecture, which was developed in the 1840s and characterises the majority of pre-war homes built in the metropolitan area. Queenslander homes typically feature a timber construction with large verandas, gable corrugated iron roofs and high ceilings. Most of these houses are elevated on stumps, also called stilts, and they were traditionally built of timber which allow for that void underneath the house to aid in the cooling. Queenslander houses are considered iconic to the Brisbane area and are typically sold at a significant premium to the equivalent modern houses. Morton Bay and its marine park is also a major attraction, and its three primary islands, Morton Island, North Stradbroke Island and Bribe Island, are accessible by ferry, contain popular surf beaches and resorts. The Tangaluma Resort on Morton Bay Island is popular for its nightly wild dolphin feeding attraction, of operating Australia's longest-running whale-watching cruises. Beachside suburbs such as those on Redcliffe Peninsula, as well as Shortcliffe, Sandgate, Wynnum, Manly and Wellington Point, are also popular attractions for their bayside beaches, piers, infrastructure for boating, sailing, fishing and kite surfing. On a different note, Redcliffe is where the Bee Gees actually lived and they have a memorial for them. For you to walk through and it's quite a nice way to walk through at a nice time and they have some really lovely restaurants around that area. Brisbane is definitely a city where you will spend more of your time outside enjoying the sun 
when you can and enjoying the air conditioning on the inside when the temperatures climb. Now onto the case. Alison was born on the 1st of July, 1968, and was a loving mother to three daughters. Alison was an amazing ballerina, and when she was 12 years old, she was dancing with the Australian ballet. With the traveling she did with the ballet, she found her love of travel and languages, and she could speak up to six languages to varying degrees. She had married Gerard Robert Baden Clay, who had been born in Bournemouth in England on the 9th of September 1970. They had met while both working at Flight Centre, a global business which has its head office in, based in Brisbane. Flight Centre, for those who don't know, is one of the biggest travel agents in Australia. Up until recently, it actually incorporated two other companies, Student Flights and also Escape Travel but then it consolidated everything into just the under the one name flight center. However, due to the COVID-19 flight center has actually been drastically reduced, which has been very unsettling for a lot of people who live in Brisbane, as a lot of the population actually work for flight center. I personally know people who have been affected by this because they've worked for flight center for 10 plus years. And this has been the first big knock for them during this time. At the time of Alison's death, she had just become an executive for Flight Centre and Jared was running an upmarket real estate franchise, which he had been doing since 2004. The marriage was not without its ups and downs. After the birth of their youngest child, Alison suffered from anxiety and depression in 2009. It is said that she probably suffered with a bit of postpartum depression, which is very typical for women to suffer from after having a baby. It could be your first, your second, your third, anything. It just comes out of nowhere and hits you. After this, she persuaded Jared to attend couples counseling as she felt that they were drifting apart. During this counseling session, Jared admitted that he was ready to walk away from the marriage. Alison fell apart as she could not imagine living her life without him. Just as recently as the October of 2011, Alison learned of a long-standing affair her husband was having with an employee at his business. On the 20th of April 2012, Jared woke up at 6am, but he found that Alison wasn't in bed. He could hear that their three daughters were still not awake yet. So he got up to see whether she was already up or if she'd fallen asleep on the sofa like she had done before in the past. Jared assumed that Alison must have gone for her early morning walk when he couldn't find her in the house. The walk was something that she usually did around 6 a.m. But that would be odd today, considering that she had a real estate conference and she had mentioned wanting to leave by seven. He thought she mustn't be far away, so he went to the bathroom to have a shave. At 6.20am, he sent Alison a text. Good morning. Hope you slept well. Where are you? None of the girls are up yet. Love, G. 
By 6.45 a.m., she still had not returned home from her walk. Jared grew concerned. He didn't want her to be late for the conference, so he tried calling Alison's phone, but she didn't answer. He sent Alison another text message saying that the girls were ready and could she text him back or give him a call. He then called his father, Nigel, and his sister, Olivia. They lived close by to the bathing clays, and one of them could watch the girls while the other helped him look for Alison. In no time at all, they were on the street surrounding their home looking for her. Maybe she twisted her ankle walking or had an accident. At 7.15am, Jared called police emergency, as it was totally out of character for her not to be home for the girls. During the triple zero phone call, which is 911 or 999, it is noticed that Jared Baden Clay's call begins and ends with a greeting. This is the integration factor. In emergency calls like this one, urgency is presupposed. Therefore, politeness is unexpected in any form. This is what makes this triple zero called very jarring you can listen to this it's widely available jared doesn't know allison's age and could not give an accurate description of her for a long time he referred to allison as his wife didn't actually give her name until the operator asked for her name it's very cold very impersonal you feel like he's distracted by something when you're listening to it. When the two responding officers attended the Baden Clay residence, they both felt that something was a bit off with Jared's story of events. He did not seem overly concerned, and he had a few plasters or band-aids on his face, which he claimed his daughter had put on him since he had cut himself shaving that morning in the rush. Officers immediately did not think that these were shaving cuts. They looked like they were made by anything but a razor. They were still weeping and not in a clean straight line. Due to good police work, the officers started recording the interview with Jared. When listening to this conversation with the police officers, Jared is very careful with his words and leaves large pauses between his answers. This can be seen as a stalling tactic as he is feigning to try and look back in his memory. But for such small details that should be easily recorded, he still pauses. This makes me suspicious and this made the police in this case suspicious as it did not feel the way that a missing persons normally went. Jared was dressed in a suit and a tie, even with his cufflinks on. All the beds were made in the house, and the house looked like the, it was recently cleaned. They could smell the bleach. When someone's gone missing, making your bed or putting cufflinks on is not something that you would do. You'd be frantically trying to look for them. You wouldn't be thinking about, oh, how tidy is my house? This was just one of the red flags that came up as a warning sign to the police. Alison's family and friends were worried 
as they know that she'd suffered with bouts of depression. They were torn because they felt that Alison would not leave her children, but they were concerned that her depression may have been worse than they had realised. When you become a mother, I personally knew something about the theory about how mothers have this very strong attachment with their child. It's something that I have always believed that because you are attached to your mother with your umbilical cord, even though that cord is cut when the baby is born, it is a bond that just physically can't be broken. I know personally there is absolutely no way that I would leave my child. No matter how bad I felt at any time, there is absolutely no way that I would just walk away from my child. So I couldn't just imagine what Alison would have been like and she had three children. There is just no way she would have left them. On this first day, the day that Alison was reported missing, there was already rumours in the community that Jared was not helping the police and not providing the police with all that they required. On the 30th of April, 2012, a woman's body was found by a canoeist at Kaloa Creek, about 13 kilometres, eight miles from the Baden Clay home. The following day, the body was confirmed to be Allison's. However, the autopsy report stated that the cause of death could not be determined. On the 13th of June 2012, Jared was formally interviewed at Indrapilly Police Station and charged with Alison's murder and for interfering with her corpse. He maintained his innocence and said he would be strenuously defending the charges. Jared's bail application was delayed on the 22nd of June because Justice David Bodice said that he posed a significant flight risk. It was made known that on the day that Jared had reported Alison missing, he had called his former mistress. She had initially not wanted to answer the call as the night before they had had an argument and she gave the ultimatum to Jared to leave Alison or she would end their affair. Since Alison found out about this affair in the October 2011, Jared had still continued to see his mistress, even though he had told Alison that it had ended. Initially, Jared's mistress thought that Jared must have told Alison about the affair and that he was leaving her. And with her depression, she must have just walked off. Along with the cuts on his face, it was made known that Jared also had a cut on the palm of his hand and also red marks going down his chest. But when Jared was requested to be examined by the medical examiner, he had a minor car accident, which meant that they would not be able to determine which injuries were fresh and which were old. When he was photographed, you can see these photographs online, and these 
do look like scratch marks. They do not look like shaving cuts and they do not look like cuts that could have been made from cutting down trees. The trial began in the Brisbane Supreme Court on the 10th of June, 2014. Jared pleaded not guilty to the charges. However, on the 15th of July, he was found guilty of murdering Alison. He was given a life sentence with the possibility of parole after 15 years. The charge of interfering with the corpse was dropped. The biggest blow to this case was on the 7th of August, 2015. Jared appealed his conviction to the Queensland Court of Appeal. And on the 8th of December of 2015, his conviction was downgraded to manslaughter on the grounds that the evidence at trial was not able to exclude a reasonable hypothesis. This hypothesis was presented by the defence that there was a physical confrontation between Jared and Alison in which he delivered a blow which killed her. For example, the effects of a fall hitting her head against a hard surface and he did not intend to cause serious harm. This decision of the Court of Appeal was very controversial and there was a strong public reaction and a large rally was organised calling for an appeal to the High Court of Australia. I personally remember this. It was such an outrage in the city that this man could have got this appeal. Understanding though what happens during a court case and everything has to be beyond a reasonable doubt. This is a very big gray area because there is always going to be different hypotheses. No one will absolutely definitely know what goes on between two people unless there is a camera pointing at them. However, one of these people was brutally murdered. And if it was such an accident, then you'd just call for an ambulance. You'd want your loved one to be saved. You'd want them to be okay. Well, personally, I would. The following year, on the 31st of August, 2016, more than four years after Alison had died, the High Court of Australia restored the original trial murder conviction. Jared, however, has never admitted guilt. Very similar to the first murder story that I covered of Brian Blackwell, Jared and him seem to have a lot of similarities. Jared always made his business of his real estate agent sound better than it was. He was actually almost hitting bankruptcy. For such two very high-powered people, they both held very good jobs. You would think that they would have been on their way to earning their own home, but they were still renting their home because they couldn't actually scrape together a deposit. Understandably, deposits for houses are quite expensive. But you would think him being in the real estate business, he would have that backing. 
he does show those narcissistic behaviors but also i just think he is very much a psychopath bordering sociopathy he can manage to keep his mistress on on the side and when she said no that's it that's when he decides to murder his wife a woman who has given her everything to him was working a job but also helping him in his real estate business really she was working three jobs because she was a mother to his three children i find it so appalling and so horrifying that he could have seen her as being something that was so disposable However, from the sad murder of Alison, there has been two very outstanding things which have come from this. Alison's family formed the Alison Baden Clay Foundation, which was launched on the 31st of July, 2015. Its aim is to create a Queensland community that acknowledges the prevalence of domestic and family violence. Domestic and family violence comes in so many forms. As most people know, you don't need to see a bruise to actually be subject to this violence. Usually it's a violence which you don't see, which can be the worst. This foundation is trying to shine a huge spotlight on this and make it known to people that just because you don't always see what's happening right in front of you just because you can't see the cuts and bruises doesn't mean that something isn't happening the second thing is in march 2018 the first annual scholarship in allison's memory for an aspiring ballet dancer was announced by the Queensland Premier, Anastasia Palaszczuk. The Queensland Premier had actually known Alison as a child. And Alison's love of ballet and the fact that we do have an absolutely beautiful theatre for the ballet to be performed on here is a brilliant way of honouring her memory in the art that she so loved. My references for today is Wikipedia, Malachi Crime Notes, The Case File Podcast, episode 65, which covers this case in such detail. It is an absolutely beautiful episode. It's got lots of the audio which you can listen to. It's fantastic. And lastly was a book, The Murder of Alison Baden Clay by David Murray, which the case file podcast also uses but it's a really in-depth book and it's absolutely brilliant if anybody else would love to get deep into this case thank you for listening to another episode of macabre for mortals 
If you like this podcast, please subscribe for more content. Please join our Facebook group, Macabre for Mortals podcast. Or if you have any stories you'd like me to cover, please email them to macabreformortals at gmail.com. Next week, I will be covering some ghost stories from the town of Brisbane, which even though they're slightly later than the ones from Liverpool last week, there's still some really good ones that are absolutely amazing to cover. I hope you have a great week and thank you for listening and see you next time.